Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So, hey, Marie, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here, Tara. I wish we were in the studio, though. I know. The first time we did this, we were in the studio, and that was fun. And now um, we're not in a studio, and it's less fun. It's a little less fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So are you calling from from um, Bricks? I am. I'm calling from our dark hallway in the back, trying to escape the noise of the bottlers in the front and groceries getting packed in or I'm sorry, the bottler and the cidery and groceries getting packed in the front. So I'm like in a dark hallway. Isn't that crazy? So what's awesome about this is the last time we talked, I think I think the this struggle, quote unquote, the struggle was kind of the theme of what we're doing because you were in the process of trying to raise the money to build your um, cidery. Right. So that was that long haul that you went through to get there. And now we're getting to talk to you in struggle 2.0. Right. Um, Because we're in the middle of COVID. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. It's unfortunate. I know. It's totally crazy. So I think what what would be awesome to do is sort of pick up pick up where we left off with the last interview we did with you, which was, as I said, you were raising money to, to build your, your cidery. So let's go back in time to building your cidery and talk to us about how that all came together. Sure. So, yeah, it's a long process, as is any, any good thing, I'm sure. Um, we... You know, back in like, I think technically we started Brick Cider in like late 2016. Um, We did some wholesaling for over a year and a half, almost two years. And then in that time, kind of had our eye out on where we could potentially build our own cidery um, tap room. And we kind of bounced around a couple different locations and stuff didn't work out here and there. And then finally we landed kind of back at one of our original spots that we had looked at in downtown Mount Horeb. Um, and what was nice about that is that the, the owner of the building actually called us to ask us to be the main tenant, which was um, nice because it was like, we weren't trying to impress someone. Someone wanted, someone kind of, you know, was seeking us out. So um, that would have been in late, eh, mid-2018, maybe late summers or something like that in 2018. And then we started the build, the finishing the build-out process in all of um, late 2018. And then we opened the tap room and started our first batches of cider here in January of 2019. Um, And all of that, as far as like, you know, we got the lease signed and then we actually had gotten kind of a more traditional but an SBA 7A loan um, through Compeer Financial the previous year for a spot that we thought because we had signed a lease and the lease was broken by the landlord and so we kind of sat on that 
on that SBA loan for a year, um, just paying it without a building, which was, of course, somewhat frustrating. But um, right. but then once we opened, it wasn't, you know, we knew we had that in our back pocket. And we, it, it was a tight opening, that's for sure. I mean, we were down to our, I kid you not, we were down to our last $2,000 when we opened yeah. the doors. Uh-huh. I mean, it wasn't pretty, you know. Um, but we opened and, uh, and it was funny cause we opened. And then if anyone remembers 2019 was the year of the, um, what was the big freeze called? What did we call it? The, the Arctic, whatever that hit. Oh, Boston. the polar, the what polar was that? Vortex. The polar so we were, vortex. Yeah. We and you so, opened yeah. in the middle of that, right? Exactly. We opened the day that it was the work, the day that Madison shut down was supposed to be our opening. It was a Wednesday <laughs> and we ended up right. not being able to open on our opening day and instead pushed it to Thursday. Cause you know, then it was only about negative 25 below zero <laughs> on that Thursday. Um, so I don't know that's how that all went, but we opened regardless. Um, and I want to say it was like January 30th or something like that. Um, right. and so we, we hit the vortex perfectly, but we came out of it. All right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you opened. Yeah. So these are, you know, these stories, I think people, people look at business from the outside and think it's all really, um, you know, like this well-oiled machine that nothing ever goes wrong. And I think what, what you don't realize is that no business is like that and stuff is going wrong all the time. Right. Yeah. So you guys really, that was such a journey to go through with having signed a lease and then lost the space, then needed to find another space. And then, yeah, the usual delays with a build out and right. yeah, the whole, the whole thing you went through is crazy. So here you are, you opened up in the middle of the polar vortex and things are really slow. Um, I'm assuming until spring. Is that right? Yeah, we did January, no, I shouldn't say February and March. We kind of rolled because we were, we rolled pretty okay because we were new in town. Uh huh. Yeah. And then April didn't, the weather just didn't turn. And April, I think, was, I mean, pre COVID was definitely one of our lowest months on record. And that was a that real crazy? gut punch because we were yeah. like, oh crap. And then, and then we got into summer and things kicked up again. So, um, so we kind of, we definitely had like that roller coaster of, because we didn't have any money. I mean, it'd be one thing. We just were so, we were so strapped for cash right. at that point. And there just like, wasn't any other money. Like there wasn't an option. Right. Um, so we made it through April and then we kind of, we were able to get through summer. Okay. Um, yeah. We're still kind of the new kids on the block. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to get the word out there and to take a dent, you know, you're taking kind of trying to find your people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a, um, your space and your, I, I just, I don't know how to describe it. Sort of the vibe of your place and, and for the brand, um, is, is wonderful and differentiating and unique. And it's a story you got to tell, right. And get people there to experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get, really people really enjoy it when they come here, they just got to find us. Right. Right. And you, your space has a lot of outdoor seating and you're on a bike trail, right? Which is a whole other attribute to where you are. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's awesome. So we're right on the Military Ridge bike path, um, which cuts right through Mount Horeb, and Mount Horeb's kind of kind of the gateway to the Driftless area, um, as yeah. far as the southern Wisconsin Driftless area goes, just because, you know, you get to Mount Horeb, and then you start to hit those hills. You leave right. the Sugar River, kind of the low basin with all the wetlands, you come up, and you're in Mount Horeb, and now you've got um, pretty solid trout river, trout stream, Driftless. Yeah. Country, so. yeah, it's beautiful. And that that trail, for those of you who are listening who don't know, um, goes pretty much all the way into Madison, doesn't it? Goes all the way to Madison and all the way out to um, Dodgeville. Dodgeville, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful trail. So being on there has got to be great. And then, you know, who knew that COVID was coming at the time, but you have all that outdoor seating Yep. And then you do music and other things, right? In in your we normally. did, yeah, we did. Yeah, we, did, we were probably doing music three times a week, especially in the colder months. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of just you know one two people bands, but we were we were hosting um, an old time jam once a month. We have open mic every two weeks. All sorts of musicians, really. They kind of come out of the woodwork. Um, when you start to hold stuff like that. And we just had lots of people who wanted to play here. It's a good venue for music, real high ceilings. Um, so it doesn't get super loud. Right. Um, we don't have, and, and, and I should say that because our high ceiling hit, um, it's not a metal top. It's not like a metal. It's all insulated above us. Oh, yeah. That's so how that they would built help the too. So it just, it takes sound really nicely. Um, so it's, it's a really good music space. Um, so nice. now we, you know, we're we're still doing open mic, but we're not we're not comfortable quite yet pushing a bunch of live music, so we haven't started that up again. Right, of course, of course. And then you also, um, you you when your I don't know your philosophy about the food was also unique in that you're um you're kind of taking a you know looking at what is usually just better restaurants are doing a farm to table kind of thing. And you're doing farm to table for all your food, right? Yes. All of our food is, we're pretty strict farm to table. And I think we're getting better and better at it as well. Um, you know, at first I, I kind of joke that like, because we were so small, like with our ciders and with our food, we can be inconsistent and no one really cares. Right. Um, we're still really inconsistent and it's something that I'm, in some ways, I'm a little bit proud of because it means that we have flexibility. We can swap things in and out on seasonality. Or if someone runs out of something, it's not like the end of the world. That doesn't mean I go running to Cisco. It just means I don't have that. You right. know, it's like we're just not worried about um, being super consistent with either our ciders or our food. You know, sometimes you come right. in and you get corn chips. Sometimes it's potato chips. Sometimes we've got, you know, it's like it's kind of whatever our producer have around so but we are getting better at um at just figuring out how to, how to source things more consistently too and finding distributors that that work well for us you know there's not right. many distributors that really focus on local but uh-huh. we've able we've been able to find a few um and we can we can get what we need um you know pretty much year round from them which is really nice that's awesome yeah so so you had a, a menu, because you're in Wisconsin, we got to feed people. You can't just give them booze. So um, so you solved that problem, and you had music, and um, and 
so pre-COVID, it seems like you were sort of getting your stride. I mean, we were, you know, for the lack of a better word, right? Yeah, and we were doing, we had started doing these Sunday night films uh-huh. that were just a total hit. So we would find a film that somehow pertained to like a local issue, whether it was about food or clean water or um, a political issue or like Aldo Leopold or something like that. And we'd show the film and then we'd have speakers come in and the audience could engage with these speakers. And uh-huh. so like Reap had an event there where we did a film showing and and we had just like really gotten that to be consistent and well, bam, you know. Yeah. So, but we're hoping yeah. to to hoping to build that up again. People really, really liked it, and it was such an awesome community event. Like, there were times there was standing room only, and we can see, you know, sixty five people. So we had, you know, there was one night with or one of the films we had like one hundred and thirty people. Don't tell the wow. fire department. You know, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's almost like you became a community space, right? A third, yeah. kind of that third space thing. Yep, definitely. People were having parties here and, um, yeah, and, and the community still really is very supportive. Yeah, yeah. So before we start talking about COVID, let's talk about the program you have for working with, um, with the local orchards. Yeah. So when we, so there's a few, I think, unique things about the way that we make cider. Um, one is that we, we don't buy juice. We always, we have, I mean, I say that there's a, you know, maybe in the future we'll find someone to buy juice from. I'm not saying we'll never do that if we continue to grow, but right now we are, um, we are picking a majority of the apples that we press. We do buy seconds from some local orchards, but then what's, what I think is especially unique is that we never mix apples from different orchards when we make a cider. So when you pick up a bottle of our cider, you can put a pin on a map and know where those apples came from. And I, I, I think that's pretty unique. I think for the most part, um, people are blending apples. So we don't do that. We don't blend apples from different orchards. We keep it separate. And so what that means is when that orchard, um, when we go and buy those apples, pick them with our crew and we buy their seconds, um, ones that they can't otherwise sell, um, they can turn around and get a free license from, um, from their township, which is a cider-only liquor license. It's non-quoted and it's free. And for people who want to understand liquor licenses, those are two words that are never associated with liquor licenses, free and non-quoted. Yeah, so, that's um, so crazy. They can get, an uh, apple orchard can get something like that. Yeah. Anyone can really, like even like a little local farm store or something. If um, if they don't want to sell anything outside of cider, so um, so hmm. several of the orchards we work with now have gotten that that free license from their township, and so we basically, I don't know. I mean, it's we buy the apples from them, we produce cider, we wholesale that cider back to them in bottles. And then they retail it out to their customers. So they're basically, um, they're just like any other liquor store or grocery store to us. But um, I feel like the difference is that they get to sell a product that they know came from their orchard, which is really cool. And then it still has our branding on it. We don't, you know, it's still brick cider, but made with 
munchkey apples made with appleberry apples, made with wow. dual orchard apples, you know, et cetera. And so um, that's been a really nice, um, solid, I mean, our, our best accounts are our orchards. So that's, that's awesome. Cool. And yeah. it's so helpful for them too, you know, another revenue stream for the orchards. Oh yeah. It's a really special, unique product for sure. Yeah. And then your cider is also one of the things I appreciate a lot about your cider is it's not overly sweet. No. So no. I think we talked a little bit about that in, in the first interview, but you have, you have sort of a philosophy of, yeah, of how you approach cider yeah we we really like dry cider but i'm also i'm learning that i don't always dislike sweet cider um when we first opened we had 11 ciders on tap and probably nine of them were dry if not 10 and we've really um kind of i want to say like matured on that but like now we're almost half and half uh-huh. But part of it is that our sweet ciders are nothing like the commercial sweet ciders that you get kind of on the on the regular market, you know, in your grocery store. Like yeah. even our sweetness would, is probably like off dry at best, semi-sweet at worst. I mean, we're just not sweet. Right. Um, and it's really hard to keep something shelf-stable when it's that sweet. So I'd almost prefer not to have things super sweet. Because mm-hmm. it, it adds this whole pasteurization thing into it, and right. you know, pasteurization. Like I prefer to drink a raw product. Right. I think most people, health wise, like I mean, people drink apple cider vinegar all the time for health reasons. Like right. our dry ciders are kind of, in some ways, a very similar product. It's it's natural. You still get kind of the yeast forming in the bottom. We don't over um, we don't over filter our ciders, so you definitely still get some of the good stuff. Yeah, isn't that awesome? And I got to say, so we're in the land of Wisconsin, which is sort of semi-famous for old fashions. And (laughs) you have this old-fashioned cider that is just lovely. Yeah, that's definitely, we just ran out. That's a house favorite. Um, I like that one because we can feature local products in it. So we use Wollersheim brandy barrels. Or Dancing Goat, which is um, up in Baraboo. I'm sorry, uh-huh. not Dancing Goat. I'm Driftless Glen up in Baraboo. We use Door County Cherries, and then we go with a bitters company out of Milwaukee. So it's nice. like, it's super fun to feature other people's stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I took that, took it to Texas when I went down to visit my, my son down there. And, oh, my God, was that a hit. Everybody loved oh, it. And it's yeah. got a beautiful color, too. It does. It does. But it, you know, and it's, and it's, um, you know, people feel like they're having a cocktail when you're having it and it's, you know, much lower in alcohol content and much, I don't know, more refreshing in a way, but yeah, it's, and is, um, so do you have a product? So like Wallersheim winery, um, is probably the oldest and most established winery we have around Madison and, um, Philippe, the, the owner, has told me in the past that the whole winery would not exist if they didn't have Prairie Fumé, that the one, their white, yep. sort of semi-dry white wine, that because it's so widely drunk, if that makes sense. So yeah. are, are you starting to get a product like that? You know, I feel like as far as sales, like that old-fashioned one, just like we can't keep up. 
with yeah. so much people want it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really, we try to get our Orchard Series ciders. We really want those to be what people, yeah. I think, go to as like an everyday drink just because it's, it's just a good cider. We didn't, you know, we didn't really manipulate it. And it comes from, you know, orchards within a stone's throw of us. So right. um, I really, I really like those products as far as yeah. just an easy. But I do think we have some signature ciders. Um, the old fashioned is definitely a signature. And then we have um, our sizer, which is a honey. It's a honey fortified cider. Mm-hmm. And that's another one that is just, um, it's just an excellent drink. And it's more like a wine. It's like around 13%. But it features our friends down at Gentle Breeze Honey, which is like, I don't know, three miles from here. Yeah. Um, and Munchkey Apples, which are another three miles. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. such a local, it's such an amazing local product. Yeah. Um, and people really like that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you think about like um, oh, New Glarus Brewery with with spotted cow, right? It's sort of the yep. same thing that they have this one product that is is high sales. And it, what's funny about that is in both cases, I mean, the owners they're proud of that product, but it isn't their favorite product, right? right? But right. it's just the mass market appeal is so much higher for it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and if I could be so lucky as a brewery to go online and order my ingredients. And have them delivered to my loading dock. Now, wouldn't that be magical? Yeah, right. Wouldn't that be? I know. Well, and you're I doing... want these hops from Australia, and I want this grain from Germany, and right. this grain from, you know, Wyoming. And now I have a local product. Look at me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's extra work for for you, for sure, to do all the local sourcing you do. I don't know anybody who does it to the degree that you do. Yeah, I don't think I do either. We are, and maybe it's to our detriment. I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, maybe there's a reason people don't do what we're trying to do, but I hope not. Yeah. Well, yeah, there probably is a reason. And if you can add value and your customer really appreciates it, then it won't matter, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, we just got to keep, keep building. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So here we are. And um, COVID hit. And you guys pivoted really fast. We did. Um. So I remember it because Matt's birthday is March 15th. We closed oh, dear. March. Yeah, we closed March 14th. And we closed about a week before the, the stay-at-home order was um, put in place in Wisconsin. And I would say we closed about a, a weekend before most other establishments did. I remember being like, oh my God, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Like we're going to lose a weekend. You know, I remember thinking like, maybe we can squeeze out one more weekend of sales, but it felt terrible. Like I was here on that Friday night when we decided to call it and it just, the mood was terrible. Everyone was just, everybody felt weird, you know? Right. Um, and so we got up in the morning, it was a Saturday and Matt was like, we're just not going to open. So we just didn't open. And we like went for a hike with our kids and did a couple things. And then Sunday, 
Matt came in and he spent the entire day building a website for um, us to sell groceries to our community because we had, you know, we were supporting probably 12 to 15 different farms every week with orders. And for us to just turn that off really turned off a lot of small little economies, not to mention the local bakery in town that we were sourcing all of our buns and bread from. Um, I mean, it was like, you know, when you source local, that has a really, um, when you just shut down or close, that has like a pretty big domino effect on your 10 mile radius around your, around your place. So we very quickly got a website up and running, um, so that people could order directly from us. And then we, we basically became a food hub overnight is the way I see it. Um, which is, Food hubs don't tend to do very well, so that made me nervous, but it was something that we could do to to help everyone yeah. and to hopefully keep ourselves, at least keep the lights on. You know, we didn't know what the heck was going to happen. Right. But we did know that people were going to stores and, like, clearing out weird food items, and we're like, oh, right. my God, this is crazy. Um, so, yeah, that first week, I think we delivered like 30 boxes, right? We had like 30 orders come in the first two days. And then um, we got our high was about 160 orders a week. That's so crazy. And now we're back. We're still doing it even though the tap room is open, but we're down to um, about 45 orders a week. So it's, it's right. definitely, it's, you know, it's not a huge, it's not a huge part of our income stream anymore, but we're going to work to to build it back up before winter. Well, so yeah, and here um, here we are. Um, you know, the South thought we were closing down and COVID was going to go away forever, and apparently, when you open up, it comes back. So hey, yeah. yeah. So who knows? I mean, one of the things that I've I've you know, so you you are really good at, at what I would call curating ingredients. So, so for your food, right? You were very, very particular about what local vendors you work with and that, right. And that shows in the products that you sell through your, through your hub too, right? Yeah. We vet, like I am, I have got my eye on people and I know that there are bad players out there, especially in meat. Yeah. And people are getting duped by these people because they put, you know, so-and-so's family farm on a label and they assume that they're buying meat from a farmer. Right. And that is just not the case. So the one thing that I always tell people is that I will not serve or sell meat from a farm that I have not physically been on. Mm-hmm. So I have been on, and most of these farmers I've known for years and years, right. you know, some of them going on 15 years, I've known these farmers. So, um, and it's the same with pretty much everything we do. You know, some of our kind of packaged products, I'm a little, I don't always know, but any vegetables, anything where I can be on the farm, I mean, people can trust that I have, I have been on these farms and they're doing what they say they're doing. Right. 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 No. And it shows in there, in the, I don't know, the curated selection of the food. So this is what, what, what impresses me about that is if you're going to order food to have it delivered to your home, it is difficult to get 
a list of products like you have where every single thing is going to taste fantastic and have really high integrity with it. Yeah. Yeah. And be really fresh. We order. Yeah. um, So like today is Tuesday. So order, we cut off orders at noon on Tuesday. We put all our orders in usually by two or three o'clock to all the farmers. They deliver on Wednesday and boxes go out on Thursday. Yeah. So the turnaround is really fast. And I, I just don't have space to be storing, you know, hundreds of pounds of people's stuff either. So like right. the farmers that work with me are also working with me knowing that they have to deliver every week, which means, mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, no one's going to drive more than 10 miles to deliver food every week. And so right. these are people who are really close. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how has the community responded to all of this? It's been really interesting because we do... We do offer delivery within a 10-mile radius of Mount Horeb. So we kept it really tight because... Um, yeah, you'll just, drive yourself crazy. Oh, my God. The cost of hiring someone... I don't know how these other people are doing these Madison delivery routes. Would, right. I don't... under. Yeah, I don't... I, I'm not quite... I don't quite understand that. But um, so we do a 10-mile radius. And so we kind of know um, who in the community and what neighborhoods are ordering from us and what neighborhoods aren't and that's been really interesting yeah um we also know that our food is really expensive and i am not you know i understand that not everyone um can afford to buy our food people who can't afford it should buy good food because that's voting with your dollar obviously mm-hmm. um so we actually recently partnered up with the mount Hora um food pantry and people can donate money to a fund and then the food pantry can take that money and order through uh, through our, through us basically through our distributors for whatever the food pantry really needs. And then what's, so we don't we're not making money on it, but we get their orders to them at cost. So they have the buying power of a distributor, which food pantries don't normally have, right? Right. Um, so basically, the food pantry is using Bricks' buying power to get the food that they need back into back into the people in the community who couldn't maybe That's otherwise awesome. afford really good and food. And it's coming from local farmers. Yes, and everything would be still coming. So, you know, we can get sassy cow milk at wholesale and um, different cheeses and things like that. And obviously when we sell them, we're marking them up. But right. it's a way for that food, and it's a way for the food pantry to get better food, you know. Right. So I, um, I, we're doing some work with a food hub up in, they don't call themselves a hub, but they're sort of a hub in, up in the central part of our state. And when COVID hit, um, all of the food pantries up there are a hundred percent staffed by volunteers. So, um, and they tend to be older people because that's who lives in central Wisconsin. So they're, they were either getting sick or, or being advised that they shouldn't be out doing things like this. So they lost their staffs, right. Or at the same time that people needed food more. And so they were approached this organization. Can you help? Because they're a bigger organization and actually has staff. And I was talking to the executive director who said that she she looked up what the salary for um, Second Harvest in South Central Wisconsin, the person who runs um, Second Harvest, which is the you know the big, big. food bank, yeah. six hundred thousand a year. Yeah, and so the director, the executive director. Yeah, 
$600,000 a year and the pantries have no paid staff at all. Like what would be the problem with that? And yeah. the food banks are getting, you know, processed junk to, you know, expire oh, dates and everything else that's killing people. Um, so the whole thing isn't working. So it's really inspiring to hear what you're doing with the food pantry. Yeah, I hope it takes off. I hope that they can get what they need. And, you know, it's hard because, I mean, what if we've been in this for like, what's March? To April, May, I mean, four months, right? Yeah. And everyone and their mother is asking for money right now. Right. Everyone. I mean, every you, you scroll through your Instagram feed and it's GoFundMe, GoFundMe, GoFundMe. I want right. to do this. I want right. to do that. And, and it's for a lot of different reasons. It's not all COVID related. But um, I do think that people are feeling like really tapped out too. So I'm not, I'm not sure how long the generosity is going to last. I think that will be really interesting to kind of watch how donations continue to come in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. And I think, you know, we're about to lose the, the unemployment bump, right? So, yep. um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the economy, period, when that stimulus leaves. Um, yeah. Yeah, because but, even if we didn't have COVID, we have, we have a severe recession, right, right. underneath it now. So, um, so coming out of that is going to be is going to be crazy, but I do, I'm still, I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing that partnering with the food pantry and in Manhoa. That's great. Yeah, we figured why not. Right. And we were talking about a bunch of different ways and, you know, another way is, is um, kitchens can actually, if anyone else is looking for ways you can help is that anyone with a commercial kitchen, sometimes food pantries get food in bulk yeah, and if they and don't they have a commercial do kitchen, they can't do anything with it. And so we yeah. talk, you know, and I'm not, they got around that problem here in Mount Horror, but that was another way we were going to just try to be like, hey, you can use our kitchen to split up heads of broccoli, right? Like, right, right. Kind of stuff like that. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of ways besides money. Like, we don't have money. Like, I can't be, like, handing right. money out to any. I don't have any. Um, right. But that doesn't mean that there's not ways that I can help that don't help my community but also aren't, like, a direct impact on me financially, which, like, I'm just trying to keep people employed and keep my mortgage paid. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So right. people, and you so know, you can you, get creative. Yeah. I love it. And you guys opened, you reopened when? A couple, I don't oh know. Oh my gosh. Maybe a month ago. It was maybe a month we ago. We stayed closed. We never did take out um, until we reopened kind of. Um, and we, we re yeah, I'd say it's been four, four, it's four almost weeks. a month, three, four weeks, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And we, have no we so we reopened but we're not doing any indoor dining um all so people can come in order food and then we have the patio open so we decided to not even deal with the 50 percent capacity or 25 whatever you right, know what i mean right we just don't even so we converted the indoor space um you can come in now and do all your grocery shopping inside so it's kind, <laughs> of, kind of like a little co-op now yeah we're so we've got, we, we did invest in a nice like glass door fridge and freezer. Um, and then we've got a bunch of, anything that you see online, you can also now buy in, in the tap room. And, oh, nice. and we just ask the people, we, you know, have a sign up less, you know, we try to keep it to less than 10 people at a time inside. Right. Um, and everyone's been really good about that. So nice. 
Um, and now we do offer takeout, but the di- now that the kitchens, I could not justify opening a kitchen for takeout only. Right. It just blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and because you're in Manhorb, you're not in Madison, yeah, right? Exactly. Like I was, yeah, no one's grill pubbing out here. I don't think. Right. Right. Um, and so it just didn't make sense. It was better for us to focus on getting the groceries and having that get us through those three months. Mm-hmm. And then when we, you know, our indicator to reopen the tap room is when we really saw groceries take a dive. Right. Um, we had to then do something else, you know? Right. Right. So, um, so things, so biz, has it been busy? Has it been sort of intermittent? What does it look like? It's super weather dependent, of course. Yeah. So like, um, you know, if it rains at all, even just for 20 minutes, I might as well just close down because no one's coming out. Right. Um, if it's super hot, no one comes out, which I totally get. I wouldn't either. Um, so like that July 4th weekend was like our second or third weekend open or second weekend open, I think. And it was just dead. And we were yeah, like, oh, because my God. it was so hot. It was so hot. And I think anyone who knew anyone with a lake house was like, right. Oh, was there. Something. Yeah. Um, so that was really dead. But then this last weekend, it was like a nice busy where we were never slammed. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a real kind of nice, steady, busy, like felt more like a summer day. Mm-hmm. A little, you know, not quite as busy as, as maybe we would hope in, in non-COVID times. But for COVID right. times, I'm calling it a win, you know? Yeah. 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 So hopefully, I mean, I don't know. We're still, we had that patch of really hot weather. So hopefully that's going to change. Um, yes. And how's the apple season this year? Uh, we're looking at a pretty bumper crop. So, really? Awesome. Yeah. So that's great. And, and you know, we did, like... You know, I've worked for the government long enough. Like, I did get all the government loans that are associated with COVID, right? Like, right, I managed right. to get every one. So we have a lot of, we have a bunch of money. I don't really, it's like not in my account because it, cause it's a loan, right? It kind of freaks me out. Yeah. And I'd love, if anyone has good advice on what to do with that EIDL loan, I would love to know. Um, <laughs> just like what other people, like, I don't want to treat it like working capital because I got to pay that back. Yeah. I mean, I know it's supposed to be, and I will use it for working capital. Don't get me wrong, but like, I am very nervous about using that money and I am trying and so, and I'm trying not to, but what we're thinking is that if we, if we didn't have it going into a bumper crop here, this fall, we wouldn't have the, we wouldn't have enough money to process apples. Right. We're, I mean, we're, you know, my, my bank account is very low if I remove that, all this federal money that got right, shoved at right. me. Well, and you know, so, that's, that's why those programs existed, right? So, yep. yeah. So we're going to use it like like a line of credit, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we're going to really put away some apples this year and, um, and hope that we make it through to next summer and, and then have enough cider going into next summer, which I hope... I hope people just support the heck out of all of us next year, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Cause it could be a, it could be a long winter. Around it's going to be a long winter. Yeah. And we've got a couple tricks up our sleeve for the winter, but nothing is going to make us all that much money. It might just keep us limping along, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't depend on takeout where I'm at. Yeah. And so um, we're just going to have to look at, how to 
prepare now for a for a pretty slow winter. Right. Right. Well, you know, that's what I've been telling people about the idle money is, I mean, the good thing about that money is it's almost, I know it's a loan, but it's almost free money because the interest rate and everything right. is so low on it. So I've, I've been telling people just don't get too anxious about it. And, you know, because yes, it's a loan, but it's also very, very low interest rate. And so, the month, because it's a 30 year loan, the month. I know it's like no payment. The monthly payment is ridiculously low. It's ridiculously low. Right. I just don't like it. It's more that I'm just, it makes me, what I wonder about and Tara, I'd love, I mean, it's going to limp us along through the winter, right? It's going right. to get me through this next winter. Yeah. But like, if things don't really pick up, <laughs> then it's like, now I'm just that much more in debt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's a little bit scary. I don't know. I'm just, and whatever. I mean, as far as debt loads go, I'm probably sitting better than a lot of people. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know. Well, you know, it's, it's your instinct as an entrepreneur, right, that you're being fiscally conservative about things. And, I yeah, I totally get it. It's the, the the right now your job is just to keep this is runway, right? Like give yep. yourself enough runway. That's your job. Yep. And yeah, and it's going to do I mean, it's going to do what it was intended to do. Um mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see what happens in a in you know, in October to to just everyone all my friends that own businesses around me, you know, like Everyone's yeah, still no. kind of all this money is still fresh in everyone's accounts, but like if business continues at sixty percent of what it should be, I mean that money runs out quick, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, of course it does. Yeah, and I have a lot of people who are scrambling even worse. You know, there are plenty of food companies and farms that a hundred percent of their business was food service, right? So right. they are still struggling. Yeah, and I think, you know, quite a, there were a few different farms in Madison that did similar to what we did with the grocery delivery. Mm-hmm. But my guess, and I don't know this for sure because I haven't, like, I mean, I've talked to some of them, but they're looking at the same number drop that we looked at. Yeah, yeah, that's what like, I'm, pretty, I'm hearing now, too. Yeah, I mean, almost identical from one of the people I talked to just recently. So yeah. um, it just, yeah. it can't, it can't last, you know. Right. Right, that particular thing can't last. Right, right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we're building it in to, like, keep the groceries as a component, but not, you know, I I look at my numbers pretty close on those, and I know right now where we're at a breaking even. Right. I don't know. I mean, it's not something I'd run a business on, but it's also, like, if we can tighten a few things up and get some orders up this winter, then it can quickly become profitable again. So yeah. Yeah, and you're maintaining relationships with yep. your customers and building relationships with your community, which over yep. the long haul is gonna is gonna be valuable for your business. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, hang in there. You and lots of other people are are working so hard to stay in business right now, and I love to hear the, all of the things you're doing because you're. Um, you're not just, you know, myopically looking at, at keeping yourself afloat, right? You're, you're so invested in your farms and your community. It's awesome. Yeah. They're all my friends. Yeah. You know, like, and I kind of have started, I, I feel like it's been an educational experience for the community too, because, you know, I never ran out of 
hamburger meat, right? right? But the grocery store did. Yeah. Um, so I just think that I think there's people who, you know, are slowly people are realizing the value of like a local food economy. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID brought that to light, but I'm also seeing people very quickly go back to their old ways as we see that grocery stores aren't the dangerous COVID vectors that we thought they were. Right. Right. I mean, well, and, I mean, and yeah, food my, is back you know, on the shelves, right? Food is that back. On, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for the people who have stuck with us this whole time and will continue to, I mean, the names on the boxes don't change dramatically every week. Right. Right. It's the same people, you know, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I, I'm a little disappointed how quickly people reverted back to kind of same old, same old. But yeah, I mean, that's been a theme, right, uh, uh, for a long time within the local food movement was lots of people express interest in local and all that. But when push comes to shove, right. well, are they willing to pay more, right? Right. And then just the fact, you know, I mean, like, I'll see people say, oh, they, you know, I feel so bad for my restaurant friends. Their Cisco burger prices went up, you know, from whatever, right. 250 a pound to six bucks a pound. And I was just like, who cares? Right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. my burger prices didn't go up at all. Right. You know, right. like, it just made me like, I was just like, what is wrong with you people? Like, you don't even, you don't, you're in the food business and you don't even understand food. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Or where it's coming from. Yeah. 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 And, and we're, I, know I mean, we're so blessed because we are surrounded by the farms and the infrastructure we have for processing sure. that we are right. There are a lot of parts no. of the country where you could never do what you do. And we're still so tight here. Food processing. I mean, we need more processors. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping it was a learning experience for some people, including people in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. You know, my biggest argument has been like, I, you know, I'm not, I don't expect everyone to make 24 orders every week to different farmers and producers like I do. I understand this goes really easy, as is Reinhardt and whoever else. Yeah. But like, at least get your burger from someone local. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, around here, else, definitely. If you yeah. do nothing else. Right. There, I, I can, and if anyone, you know, if you're in the southern Wisconsin area, Dane County, Iowa County, I could list off. 25 farms that could that could get that license from dad cat and and keep you in burger the entire right. year right and so that's just not an excuse you know mm-hmm. and yeah no and i think the other thing that i've i've learned from people who kind of like you you never you never so you never ordered any other way right so this right. is in your DNA to do this. I think it's so much harder when people, you know, they got used to just looking at the Cisco catalog and then the, the, just the idea of having to make all different phone calls is daunting, right? right? If you haven't ever done it. Yeah. And it's a pain. And every Wednesday I sit down and write last week, I wrote out 25 checks. Right. I mean, not right. You know, printed 25 checks, but I still yeah. have to sign them all. Yeah. And yes, it is not easy. It takes me, 30 minutes. <laughs> right. But like, I'm also supporting 25 local businesses when I do right. that. Right. And I have to believe that money comes back around, you know? 
Mm-hmm. So, well, and I just think the burger a, thing is such low hanging fruit for everyone. Yeah, and it, you're in a smaller community where people know these things, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes I feel like in a, in a busier, like if you were in downtown Madison and, and you were local sourcing and, you know, yeah, but we still don't really know these farmers, but in Mount Horror, other people know these people. Well, the other thing is like, I think one, two, three, I've got three farmers that I source from that also bartend for me part-time. Oh, well that helps. So it's like, you know, like when April's behind the bar, and someone asks her a question about the brats, she can be like, yeah, I raised the hogs that went into those brats because we make uh-huh. our brats in house, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and same with like, if Sarah or Pat are working, like they can talk about the vegetables cause they grew them. Yeah. So I feel like that makes a really big difference because people see the same faces and bricks that they see at their local farmer's market. Sure. Sure. So that does help for sure. Yeah. And yeah. it is a tight community in that sense. Mm-hmm. But it's still well, a small community. So, have we missed anything? I don't know. I'm sure everything will change next week, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to COVID. But but you're such a great example of of a business and uh, you know leaders of a business who've pivoted and despite the you know kind of terror of it all to have to change things so drastically so quickly is hard and you guys have done a great job with that and you know um so hang in there and um we will be staying in touch to see what happens next for bricks yeah well we'll be here one way or another yes you will thanks for listening you can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.